few uh, few announcements to throw at you real briefly before James comes. Um, is I hope you're connecting with your DC in one way or another. Uh, the value of community, I think we've felt that even through the corona season where we're disconnected a little bit more. There's unique grace uh, that comes from being together, being in conversation together, be studying the word together, be given in testimony of what God is doing that, that brings something of life to us. Uh, the pursuit of God, like we've been talking about over the last few weeks, is a community effort. Yes, we personally do it, but even as we've seen, like God, God likes to show himself in the gathering of his people. Uh, that he brings a unique grace to bear as God's people gather. I know this is an awkward season to kind of figure that stuff out, uh, but I'd encourage you to lean in as you can, whether it's online or whether it's actually getting together in person. So I hope that's happening. Even so, this week, I'm sure DCs are happening in your individual DCs. I just encourage you to embrace that, encounter something of the grace of God uh, through that. Also then this week, we got uh, First Friday prayer. It's already another First Friday. Incredible. It, fly, it flies by, uh, but I'd invite you out 7 o'clock right here at the building uh, on Friday night. It's sweet time gathering together. It's not, you know, here's our agenda. It's like we, we jump into the river of whatever God's doing in the moment uh, and just intercede for the church, intercede for the neighborhood, and minister to the heart of our God. So it's a sweet time. I uh, would encourage you to swing out 7 o'clock on Friday. Uh, then finally, I just want to spend a little bit of time in prayer together. Uh, uh, specifically, I want to pray for Crossroads Church down there on Torsdale. I don't know if you have the Citizens app, right? But man, that thing pings again and again and again, and uh, there's a lot of tough stuff that happens through that corridor. And so it's good that there is a gospel light just blocks down there, uh, just sharing Christ with folks that are there. So Pete and Day for Shea, we want to keep them in prayer at, at Crossroads. Um, also, then just praying through our own church body and our shameless pursuit of Christ. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to speak pastorally kind of off the cuff, but... I think there is something here that God wants for us as a church to slow down and consider. Um, and so we're, we're going to actually be extending the sermon series a little bit, and then the next one is going to feed off of this emphasis of a pursuit of God's presence. Uh, so we're just going to linger here. But I think there's something for us to learn in this pursuit of the Lord, and particularly from the point that we began with this morning, that shameless pursuit. We're not good with putting down the defenses and going hard after God uh, in all our weakness and frailty and failures. Um, sometimes we're altogether guarded, and, and God's saying, come on, like, come and know me. Come and not just know about me, but come and know me. Taste and see that I'm good. And so I just want to pray into that. So crossroads and just our own pursuit of the Lord, that shameless pursuit. So let's pray together. God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. You've opened up the way. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. No more sacrifices, 
no more rituals of coming into your presence, that the veil has been torn, the sacrifice has been made for your presence to be known by your people. So God, we are grateful that even in singing this morning, Spirit of God, you've been present with us. You've been present bringing truth to bear upon our minds and hearts. You've been present bringing something of peace to us and something of a reminder of your love for us. So God, we we want to step further in to knowing you and understanding you. Again, not about you, but knowing you, that you're a real person who wants to be known by your people. And so, God, we, we, we want to learn more how, how it is that we rightly pursue you. So, God, grant us wisdom as a church. Grant us an understanding of what it is to shamelessly pursue you. And, Lord, I, I pray against both both the political and religious spirit that would cause us to withhold ourselves from a shameless pursuit of you. We do want to be David, who when it's time to celebrate, it, we, we dance before you. Even, even when others would say, you're getting a little crazy, you should reserve yourself because you're of a certain standing. God, we don't want to reserve ourselves. We want to be unreserved in our pursuit of you, biblically oriented, biblically founded, and yet unreserved to go after you and to go hard after you. God, we don't want to live by religious pretense where we're always concerned about what the next person thinks of us. God, we want to go after you in freedom for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So God, give us grace stir and stoke the fire that's within us to pursue your presence. Make us hunger for the things of your word. Make us hunger for the things of you. Go hard after you. So God, we we pray that you would do a work in our own hearts through this particular season. I think we're being obedient to whatever you are doing. It's safe to follow what you are doing. And so God, continue to lead us in this way as we expect, we have expectation for you to to meet with us and accomplish great things in us and through us for your own glory and for your own name's sake. So, God, we pray to that end. And right now, Lord, we pray for your blessing upon the preached word. We pray that you would give us something of hunger within our hearts and eyes to see and understand the truth that will be spoken to us. God, I pray against the critical spirit. Uh, I pray that we might receive your truth from your word and that it would be satisfying to our hearts by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you guys grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But also put a thumb in John chapter 14. Uh, We've been talking about the meaning and the mission of Mercy Gate. And so this morning we're continuing with the mission of Mercy Gate Church. What is our mission as a group of people together worshiping the Lord as Mercy Gate? And so last week Dan talked about the presence of God and The question for us is, what does the presence, the visible, apparent, public presence of God have to do with our mission as a church? 
And First um, Corinthians 12, I believe, is, has a lot to say about this. Um, let me get my notes up here, and then I will read through the text. I want to read through the whole chapter, so bear with me. The title, as I jump in today, is inspired by uh, the revivalist and, and the famous pastor John Wimber, who has a book and, and spoke a lot on the topic of Everyone Gets to Play. So that's the title this morning, Everyone Gets to Play. And see, the mission of the church, the mission of our local church, as it's uh, laid out for us in Scripture, is to make followers of Jesus, to make disciples. Our mission here at Mercy Gate is no different. It's to make followers of Jesus. But that mission is not that we would just logically convince people to ascribe to a creed. The mission of making followers of Jesus is that we would do and teach others to do everything that Jesus has commanded. Paul said that he did not come preaching the gospel in plausible words of wisdom, but he came in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Jesus actually laid down his very life. He spilled his blood that he might pour out his Spirit on us to carry out his mission. So the presence of his Spirit is essential, it's vital, it's fundamental to our mission as a church. And here's the big idea that I want to communicate today. Jesus individually empowers every person in his church to collectively accomplish that mission. He individually empowers everybody in the church to collectively accomplish his mission. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Just as the body is one and has many members or parts, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, both Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. All were made to drink of one Spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would make, not make it any less a part of the body. 
if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member or part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Now, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. As I pray, uh, I felt the Lord saying to me this week, would you be willing to bow your knees in front of everybody as you pray? And I just personally, I despise pretense, and I am actually to the point that I'm fearful that others would find me pretentious. And so the act of bowing my knees in front of a group of people, in my mind, stirs up the fear that others might think I'm being pretentious, that I'm putting on. And so I went back and forth with the Lord about it, and I asked for confirmation that he wanted me to do this. And then Dan sent out an email with the lit for this week that said, we're gathering to shamelessly draw near to God. And then as he's praying this morning, he's praying specific things that, that are speaking to my heart and my mind. So that being said, I'm going to bow my knees. I challenge you, you guys can do it with me, but don't feel obligated. That's not the point. Um, I want to model, I want to be an example of shamelessly drawing near to God without pretense. So would you guys pray with me as we jump in? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning in adoration of you. And Lord, I pray that even as I speak, that there would be more adoration, that our affection for you would grow. Lord, I pray that we would understand the necessity of your presence visible among us as we attempt to carry out your mission on earth in this neighborhood. Jesus, we honor you this morning, and, and I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. Would you stir up our hearts to the things that you have for us? Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday afternoon, as I was coming home, I got out of my car and looked up at the exact moment 
that an SUV was speeding through the four-way intersection as two girls were walking across the crosswalk. And right as I looked up, the SUV ran into those girls, and I saw the girls fly up in the air. What I witnessed in that moment affected me. As I ran across the street, I could hear the screams of the girls. I could see all of the chaos unfolding before my eyes. You could feel the tension in the air. There was, there was chaos in that moment. And it affected me later throughout the evening. Um, fortunately, I, both girls got up and were taken to the hospital. I don't know the extent of their injuries, but what I witnessed affected me. I bore that experience with me the rest of the evening, and it bothered me. It upset me. And as we jump into 1 Corinthians 12, like I said, I want you guys to look at John 14. I want to propose that this whole thing is about bearing witness and building the church of Christ. I want you guys to see this idea of bearing witness as experiencing something. As Dan talked about last week, we're not reading a label, but we're tasting, we're seeing, we're experiencing something of God that affects us. And we're bearing that, that witness, that experience, and we're carrying it with us. Look at John chapter 14, verse 9. Among all the things that Jesus accomplished— he accomplished many things in his earthly ministry, even that we don't even realize. But one of the things that John highlights in his gospel is this idea of bearing witness, both Jesus and others about Jesus. Extra credit assignment, if you guys want to, read through the book of John this week and highlight all the times he mentions bearing witness and testifying. Jesus says this to his disciples in John chapter 14, Verse 9, they asked him to show them the Father. They said, if you show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son." Jesus was bearing witness by his knowledge of the Father. And he was bearing witness by the words of the Father and the works of the Father. Did you catch that? Jesus made visible the one who was invisible to the world. Jesus made known what he knew that wasn't known in the world. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the full radiance of the Father. He unveiled the nature, the character, the person of God to the world. He bore witness 
by what he knew of God, by what he experienced in unity with the Father from all eternity, he bore that witness and brought it to the world. But I want you guys to turn ahead to John 15. This ministry of bearing witness wasn't just Jesus bearing witness about the Father. The ministry is continued by the work of the Holy Spirit. He says in John 15, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me. Skip ahead to John 16, verse 13. He says, When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just as Jesus knew the Father by experience and transferred that to the world, the Holy Spirit knows the Father and the Son experientially, and he doesn't speak on his own authority, but he speaks on the authority of what the Father and the Son are saying. And he's doing the works that the Father and the Son are doing. See, the Son glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies the Son, right? And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and also glorifies the Son. There's this beautiful, mutual, inter-Trinitarian ministry of bearing witness. They're all knowing each other fully, and they're communicating that. They're making it known. They're revealing it. And that, we can now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That brings us into it. The church bears witness about Jesus with the Holy Spirit. This ministry doesn't stop in the Trinity. It overflows into God's people. Remember what Jesus said right before he ascended back to heaven. He said, I want you to wait here until you are clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. See, by the, the Son's ascension to heaven, as he's glorified and he's at the right hand of the Father, I'm sorry, I'm terrified of bees and there's one buzzing around me. <laughs> Um, as, as the Son is glorified and he ascends back to heaven, he pours out his Spirit upon the church. Remember Acts 2, Acts 1 and 2. By doing that, he's now, he's bringing us in. We're fundamentally included in this ministry of bearing witness about the Son because we are now unified with his Spirit. There's no way we can get out of it, whether we want to or not, by identity as followers of Jesus, unified with his spirit, were brought into this ministry of testifying, of bearing witness. And so with this in mind, we read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12. Concerning the spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord. No one can bear witness about knowledge of God except in the Holy Spirit. If we're going to understand our mission as Mercy Gate Church, we have to understand that 
the presence of the Holy Spirit among us is absolutely necessary because the mission of the church is to bear witness about Christ to the world who doesn't know him. And we cannot do that unless we have the Spirit in us in a way that is apparent and visible and noticeable. I want to just phrase this as the category of building and bearing witness. Even though our church mission is to make followers of Jesus, I want to rephrase it as building and bearing witness. See, the master builder, Jesus, is building his church. Remember he said that to Peter? I'm, I'm going to build my church upon you. He's building his church ultimately upon himself as the chief cornerstone. And he said that the gates of hell can't stop that building, right? Remember what Revelation chapter 12 says, that he will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of our testimony. The kingdom of God is built ultimately upon Christ, right? I'm not skipping over that part. But he brings us into that building process as we declare as we testify, as we bear witness that he is Lord. And in, except in the Holy Spirit, we can't say that. We're building and bearing witness. We're building by bearing witness. Scripture gives us several pictures of what the church is like. This, the, the Bible describes the church as the house that Jesus is building, where his glory dwells, right? Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you are the temple of God? He dwells in you. Scripture also describes God's kingdom as a mustard seed, which sprouts from that tiny seed to a large tree. As its, deep, as its roots go deeper, its branches go higher and wider, and birds come and they make their home there. Scripture also talks about Christ's people, as we see in this chapter, as a body that's growing into full maturity. And as Dan talked about, God's presence is portrayed as a river that's flowing forward. It's getting deeper and it's getting wider. See, our mission as Mercy Gate Church is one of internal building and external building. It's a mission of both breadth and depth, height and width. The mission of our church in building and bearing witness about Christ requires that there will be new people coming into the family and that the people already in the family will be growing deeper and wider and taller and stronger. You see that? It's internal, it's external. And so now we come to this section on the spiritual gifts. What does this have to do with it? What does 1 Corinthians 12 have to do with bearing witness about Christ? I want to propose that first of all, we see in this chapter that the Spirit is bearing witness among us. He's bearing witness with us. He's bearing witness to us. And he's bearing witness, bearing witness through us in a variety of unique, this is going to sound weird, manifestations. Don't get hung up on that word. The Spirit bears witness by a variety of unique manifestations. Look at chapter 12, verse 4. He says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. 
He's bearing witness among us in many ways and in many degrees. Just like if we're building a physical house, there are a lot of tasks that have to be done. And not everybody on a job site does the same thing. Yet they're all building the same house, right? The mission of our church remains the same throughout, right? We're making followers of Jesus. The message of the gospel remains the same throughout, that Jesus came, that he was sinless, that he died, that he rose again, he ascended on high to the throne. That message is consistent throughout. But the number of ways that the Holy Spirit bears witness about God, about Christ, to us, I would even argue is as countless as the stars in the sky. Because, listen, God is a personal God, and he acts and reveals himself to each individual in unique ways because he's a personal God. There's no cookie-cutter way that he bears witness. It's unique depending on the situation, depending on the person, because he knows us and he's personal. When we look at this verse and see that the Spirit of God is empowering a variety of gifts, we have to be careful not to oversimplify these gifts and these manifestations of the Spirit. We have to be careful not to say, He only does this, this, and this. Because the Spirit of God can't be limited by us, and Scripture is very clear that He's acting in a variety of ways. But we also have to be careful, moving into verse 7, that we don't over-mysticize, um, that we don't over-spiritualize the gifts of the Spirit. And, and I want to be careful. There is mystery in how he works, and the way he works is spiritual. That's not what I'm saying. My point is that we have to be careful not to make these activities and gifts of the Spirit some vague, generic, far-off idea. No, look at verse 7. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The variety of gifts and activities that the Holy Spirit empowers are unique and visible manifestations of the very presence of God, Jesus Christ, among us. When the Spirit empowers a gift to function through a person, the intention is for the common good, in other words, the building of his church, and the result is that the people of God are witness to a specific and personal move of God that declares Jesus is real, Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. Those are the things the Spirit is doing among us. They're not vague and generic. They're specific. They're revealing Christ. The Scottish theologian Tom Smale describes it this way. The Spirit operates in the body, and his business there is to produce visible glory, which all who have eyes for reality can see. He's acting in a variety of ways, which are actually unique manifestations of the very presence of God. But I want to move on and say that that work, those manifestations of the Spirit among us, are actually revealing the words and the works of Jesus. They're revealing the kingdom. Remember, that was Jesus' message. Go out and declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember how Jesus was bearing witness about the Father in John 14. 
He was knowing the Father face to face. He was seeing what the Father was doing, and he was then doing that and saying the things that the Father was saying. It was actually the Father's words and works that were known by Jesus and then transferred through him to the world. You see that? In the same way, in John 16, the Spirit is doing the same thing. He's knowing God, seeing what God is doing and saying, and then he's transferring that to his people. The Spirit takes what is Christ's and declares it. He manifests himself by doing and saying what the Father and the Son are doing and saying. Look at the verses um, in verse 8. Notice the word and deed theme. He says, To one is given through the Spirit the utterance, or in other words, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. That's a word. He gives various kinds of tongues. He gives the interpretation of tongues. These unique manifestations of the Holy Spirit among us, to us, are nothing but the words and works of the kingdom of heaven that are proclaiming and demonstrating that Jesus is Lord. And he's doing that and saying that in ways that we can experience and see and know and taste and feel and witness the reality of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5, describes the Spirit's ministry in this way. It's a taste of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. And what do we see as the result of these things? When the Spirit empowers somebody in this way, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 14, that unbelievers will enter the people of God and they will see this happen and they will fall on their face in worship, declaring that God is really among you. And at the same time, those who, are, who already know Christ are encouraged and they're strengthened and their knowledge and their love for Christ grows exponentially. When you experience something so powerful, you grow rapidly. The Holy Spirit is eternally committed to a ministry that is specifically revealing the glory of Christ to the world through the church. The church that is committed to seeking and honoring that visible public presence of the Spirit will not be unidentifiable in the world. The Spirit of God will bear witness about Jesus, and you also will bear witness. Now my last point on this particular chapter the Spirit of God works in a variety of ways. That variety of ways is actually his manifest presence, his glory among us that's noticeable. And it's declaring the words and the works of Jesus to us. But here's my last point on this. The gifts of the Spirit, his visible presence, is available to the entire church. This is the point of Paul's entire argument with uh, his picture of the physical body from verses 12 all the way through the end of the chapter. And this is the inspiration for the title, that everyone gets to play. I want to repeat what I said about 
the pouring out of the Spirit. Because Jesus ascended to heaven and poured out the promised Holy Spirit upon his church, that you who have received that Spirit by faith in Christ are fundamentally included in the ministry of building and bearing witness. You have access to a variety of gifts empowered by the Spirit, which are unique manifestations of his presence that are intended to glorify Christ and make him known where he is not known. Jesus individually empowers every person in the church to collectively carry out his mission. Just look at what he says that highlights the individual nature of that empowerment. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Just as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. All were made to drink of one Spirit. The body doesn't consist of one member, but of many Skip down to verse 18. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 27, you are the body and individually members of it. Here's the point. If you are in Christ, you are there for a specific purpose. He has a specific task for you to carry out as his body. And they're not all the same. This means, guys, that you cannot say to another brother or sister in Christ that we don't need your gifting. This also means that you can't say to yourself, the body doesn't need me. Every part of the body is intentional. And what does Paul say? The, the weaker parts are indispensable. The unnoticeable parts, the dishonorable parts are indispensable. Guys, every one of you in Christ is in Christ for a reason, and that reason is to bear witness about him. This also means, guys, that some people are going to be gifted in ways that are more noticeable, while some people are going to be gifted in ways that are less noticeable. Some people are going to function in a gift one time. Other people are going to function in a gift for years it's the same spirit working in each one of them as he wills. There's nothing that we can do to decide that. He's doing it as he wills, right? Oh, there's no room for us to be prideful when we're operating in a gift of the spirit. When we're doing what he's empowering in us, we cannot be prideful. We also cannot be bitter or jealous that we aren't gifted the way somebody else is. Look at verse 25. He actually says, Paul says that God intentionally designed the body this way with weaker parts and stronger parts, as he would say. More noticeable gifts and less noticeable gifts. In verse 25, it says that, that God designed the body this way specifically so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, these powerful manifestations and gifts of God's presence are given to individuals for other people, for the common good. 
the gift and the service go hand in hand. Gifts are not given that we might establish reputation in and of ourselves. They are given and empowered that we would care for one another as a body, that there might be interdependence and unity developed among us as we all recognize it's nothing we're doing, but Christ is working through us. We need each other. I need you. You need me. And together, he's empowering us individually to carry out one task. In closing, I want to give you guys just two, two points in the context of stewarding gifts and sowing seeds. Everyone in the church gets to play. We get to be a part of what Christ is doing, right? We get to be a part of the building process, and we are fundamentally included in the bearing witness about who God is. I want to call your attention back to verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, who apportions to each one individually. Now, I just want you guys to think about this. If the Spirit of God is manifesting his presence to an individual for the common good, how does that benefit the body if it's happening to an individual? Think about it. The answer is, that the individual who receives that manifestation of the Spirit must be a vessel that transfers that gift to the body. Do you catch that? If it's happening to an individual for the body, there has to be something of a transfer taking place. Paul would say that his ministry was just like being a jar of clay that's carrying about the treasure of God's surpassing power and glory. Imagine if Christ, in his knowledge of the Father, never transferred what he knew of the Father. Think about that. Without that act of transfer of that knowledge, where would we be? We would not be in relationship with God. Think about if Christ never poured out his Spirit upon us to give us the things that belong to Christ. Without that transfer taking place, we would know nothing of God. And without us taking that revelation of God, that manifestation of the Spirit, and transferring it to the body for the common good, then we are actually neglecting to use what God has given. Have you guys ever gone to a steak restaurant and they brought out the plate to you with a nice filet on it and you looked at it and said, that is an awesome plate. Have any of you ever got a vintage wine and the first thing that you notice was the glass that's holding that wine? Maybe it's happened, but I would argue that we don't notice the vessel. We're after the treasure that is being transferred by that vessel, right? I'll tell you what people do notice. They notice if they're handed a wine glass with a crack in it and the wine is spilling out everywhere and not carrying that wine. People notice when they turn on the faucet and no water comes out. People notice when you plug in a plug to an outlet and no electricity comes out. People notice when salt loses its flavor. And people notice 
when a fruit tree does not bear fruit. My point here is that the Spirit's ministry of bearing witness, because he graciously chooses to do that in partnership with people, is in some way, not entirely, we can never limit God, but in some way, the effectiveness of what he is doing by partnering with us is limited if we are not willingly participating in the ministry of being that vessel. We have to steward the gifts of God's presence responsibly. Let me just list off a few passages. The New Testament is full of warnings about this. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4 that he should be regarded as a steward of the mystery of God. And what does he say next? It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, the end of this chapter, he lists off these amazing manifestations of the Spirit, and he says, earnestly desire those. In, in chapter 14, verse 1 and 39, he says the same thing, earnestly desire those gifts. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Romans chapter 12, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies. Ephesians 5 says, be careful how you walk and be filled with the spirit. Galatians 5 says, if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Here's my point. It is possible to have life, to be regenerated by the spirit of God, to know Jesus in, in saving relationship, and yet still not function in these gifts of the Spirit or even desire to function in them. It is possible. It is possible to have access to the Spirit of God for that empowering ministry and not access it. Think about the chaos and ridiculousness of that very thing. How many of you have gotten together with your family on Christmas morning? You're gathered around the Christmas tree. There's a room full of presents, big and small, expensive and inexpensive. How many of you have been in that room and you just sat there and you talked about all the things that you want for Christmas and never opened the gifts? Think about how absurd that is. Think about how absurd it would be to open the present, to look at it, and then to leave it there. I would argue that that is what we do when we neglect and we forbid and we prevent the Spirit from revealing himself to us for the greater good of the body, for the building of his church, for the bearing witness about who God is. When we neglect those things, when we aren't pursuing that with everything we have, and, and it's not to pursue the gift, it's to pursue the one who is giving himself to us, right? When we neglect that, we are not using the grace of God that has been given to us, and we are not being faithful stewards. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 7, that we are to grow up in every way into him who is our head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly makes the body grow. It is possible to be a member of the church and not work properly. It is possible to be a vessel that has holes in the bottom. I would just remind you of Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. He gave to each one according to his ability, and then he went away. You guys know the story, I believe. The one who had received five talents went at once and doubled his money. The one who had the two talents made two more. But the one who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money for fear of not performing the way that he thought the master wanted him to. He buried the talent out of fear and did nothing with it. And you guys know how the master responded when he returned. That man was not a faithful steward. Stewarding gifts and sowing seeds. My last point. When Jesus told the parable of the sower in Mark 4, he was explaining it to his disciples afterwards. And he said that the parable was to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The sower is sowing the word of the kingdom, right? And the soil is the hearts of the hearers. I would argue that the word in that parable is much more than the basic gospel message. I would argue that that word is actually Jesus himself and all his ministry. That's the word, the logos, right? The point being is that Jesus is saying here, as he's explaining it to his disciples, the things that are hidden are meant to be revealed. I'm teaching about the kingdom in parables to draw the hearts of the hearers to me in pursuit of me, just like a person arranging a treasure hunt. He's hiding things to be sought after. He's saying no, he says in Mark 4, verse 21, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. As you are sowing the word of the kingdom of God, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. When it comes to bearing witness about Christ, many of you might say, I want to do that, but I don't know how. The measure with which you use, it will be measured to you. If the gifts of the Spirit are empowered for the common good, then we can rightly assume that that empowering will not take place unless we are actively stepping into that ministry of bearing witness and building for the common good, right? For the glory of Christ. If we're not taking that step to sow, to reveal Christ, to make him known, then why would he empower? Why would he empower us to do something that we're not doing? To the measure that you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. There's a direct connection between the gifts and the empowerment and the visible presence of God and our desire to make him known. Would you guys pray with me? 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you would right now allow us to respond rightfully. Would you allow us to understand these things? Lord, my prayer is that we would steward these things well, that we would steward your presence faithfully, that we would understand the connection between your empowering presence and our faithful, obedient service in making you known. Lord, help us to understand that connection now. Help us to respond rightly in Jesus' name. Let's take a moment to respond. I just want to be straight with some of you this morning. I think for some of you, you probably listened to that and you didn't understand it. You don't, you get what it is to be religious. You don't quite get what it means to be a vessel. To carry the presence of God, to steward his presence. To join in this Trinitarian work of bearing witness before a lost and dying wor world of a God who wants relationship with people who has made every provision to forgive sins and make them his very own so they too might carry something and steward something of the very presence of God that they might too become that refreshing, that channel through which the refreshing presence of God comes to others. It's what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. <laughs> you carry the presence of of God. As you serve, as you function in the gift, something of God is made known. So both that witness is born to others, but also that the church is built up. You are to carry something of the presence of God. And if you don't know that that is something to be stewarded, as James says, we can know about these things and yet never function in them. We have it theoretically here, but we don't have it functionally here. And the onlooking world can discern the difference between mere religiosity, format, formality, and something in which they see a people and they know there's something different. God is among them. God's doing things among them. I need to get close to that. I need to check that out so that there might be testimonies like 1 Corinthians 14, where the unbelieving person comes to faith and, and is astonished at the fact that God knows him and God is really in our midst. So there is, again, if I could say it this way, James talked about it as stewardship and sowing. Perhaps another way it could be referred to is an ongoing pursuit. We just keep pursuing God. Not to just know him theoretically, but to know him. Know him in intimacy. Know him in kind of the depths of our own personhood, but also in the depths of his personhood. To know him, to be as uh, Ephesians 
uh, chapter 1 mentioned last week, that we would actually have the eyes of our hearts awakened, that we might actually see God, that we might see him working and know that he's working and how he wants to work in us and through us for the sake of others. All right, so you guys ready to do something in response? Remember, we began this morning. This is shameless. We're going after it, like just saying, Lord, we need you for what else do we have if we don't have you? Um, so some of you were prayed for last week. You said, I, you came forward and you said, I, I hunger to just go after the Lord. And you received prayer. Um, I want you to steward that this morning. As you pursued the Lord, you may feel like, yeah, I didn't receive anything last week after I pursued and pursued. But sometimes we don't realize what he's given us until we give it away. Right? So guess what? You guys get to be the prayer people this morning. <laughs> so for those of you who came forward and received prayer, I want to give you the opportunity to pray for others. Okay? So here's what I want you to, to do. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I want to be that vessel. Yeah, maybe kind of broken down, cracked, but I want to carry the present. I want to be refreshing to others, and I don't feel. Whether it's because suffering is, is what's in your glass, it's what's in your vessel, that it's like, I don't, I don't have room for anything else, but I've just been through suffering. I'm weary. I am depressed. I am broken down. Yes, I want to carry something of the presence of God and be refreshing to others, but I'm so filled with all the other crap of life. You need to be prayed for this morning, <laughs> right? So would any of you say, you know what? Yeah, like I just feel empty or maybe you feel full of all the wrong stuff and you need prayer this morning. What I want you to do is just to identify yourself. This, once again, is all about the pursuit of God. This is everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play a part. We get to pray for one another and minister to one another. So if that is you, I feel weary or I'm filled with the wrong stuff, I just want you to raise your hand. And there's no, there's no shame. Remember, this is shameless. This is allowing God to work in our midst and oftentimes we have to admit our own weaknesses before him, before the grace comes. It's all a part of stewarding what he wants to do. So anybody just say, I'm on E, maybe spiritually, and need prayer. Or maybe you say, I'm filled with all the wrong stuff. I'm, there's suffering, there's hardship. My heart is in a totally another place than focused on the Lord. Anybody? All right. All right, Patty. So for those of you who came forward for prayer yesterday, I want you to just, maybe a few of you, gather around each person that raises a hand. So uh, Larry, Antoinette, Pastor Mark, if you could pray as well. Anybody else, you say, spiritually, I'm dry. Nikki over here, if a few could go over and pray for Nikki. Anybody else? Say, I'm spiritually dry. I'm filled with probably stuff I don't need to be filled with. One of the ways that God is good to us, even as was outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, is his healing power.
um, just sense that um, that we would pray for folks who may have uh, sciatic issues, going from the lower back down the leg. Anybody here kind of suffering from that kind of pain? All right, Larry, over here. Anybody else? Sciatic issues? All right, so if you just gather around Larry, pray for them. I want to pray for folks who may be online. Finally, um, we're going to close with a song, but if you've come this morning and you're like, man, there's some, I need healing in my body, or like internally I feel all twisted up, um, not physically but spiritually. Maybe you feel physically <laughs> twisted up too. Um, but if you've come with need, don't leave without receiving prayer. Um, so I'll be up here. If you want to come forward, receive prayer again. Like We're not going to rush to tear everything down and get out of here. Um, if you have need, again, one of God's graces given to his church is for healing. And if it's not for healing, it'll be grace to endure. And so we throw uh, ourselves at his mercy and say, come God and heal us. So Father, um, we do pray for those who even may be at home uh, suffering from sciatic pain. Uh, God, we pray in Jesus' name that pain uh, would go, that there would be flexibility, that there would be uh, relief, and that it would be clearly of you. So God, we invite you to do this healing work in those who carry such pain. And um, thank you for reminding me of this too. Uh, we just want to pray for Hayden this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would take away the pain that he's feeling in his arm as he broke his arm. Um, God, I pray that uh, in this time where his arm is uh, going to be mended, uh, we pray that there would be uh, perhaps even kind of a slowdown in his own life to think about your goodness, your care for him. Would you be near to him during this time? God, we pray that you would take away the pain, give him great comfort, although he has a broken arm. So we just intercede for him. God, be all the more uh, revealing your presence to him during this time. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.